Firstly, it's about developing a sense of self, being comfortable and at ease with who you are, because everything flows from that, and other people recognize it becomes a hallmark of leadership. This is Unplugged, a series of conversations with creative minds from the design industry and beyond, hosted by H and H. Buongiorno, welcome to another episode of H and H Unplugged. We have the great pleasure today of being uh, here in connection from Dubai to Dubai with uh, Simon Casson, Four Season President of EMEA Region. Good morning, Simon. How are you doing? Matteo, good morning. How are you? Great to uh, connect with you and uh, the H&H family. Thank you very much and thank you very much for the time. I see that you are in connection from your house. How is the quarantine treating you? How do you start your days? What do you do usually? Well, listen, if you'd have been asking me that uh, a couple of months ago, I would say that there's no usual. I'd probably, I could be in Florence or I could be in New York or Riyadh or Paris. I would tell you for sure I would be on a, on a plane to somewhere. But of course, all of our lives have, have changed over the past months. So now here quarantined in Dubai and honestly working enormously, enormously hard from home. Um, the routine is get up into my home office and connect with the, the world of Four Seasons, our employees, our owners, our corporate office in Toronto when, when they wake up. So a change, you know, for someone who's used to spending his life with and around people, uh, somewhat of a solitary existence, but uh, pretty productive, I would say, as well. We see a guitar there. It's a new passion that uh, you are just uh, giving more time since you're at home or... You know, firstly, music's a passion. So I always have a song in my head. You know, every phase of my life, I would say, has been somewhat defined by music. So I love it. I love to sing. I'm, I'm a bit of a, a rank amateur with, with instruments. I play a little bit of guitar, but you can probably see me behind there. I've got a piano in the home here, and that's actually what I've been focusing on mostly, uh, you know, sitting down and trying to, to up my piano skills a bit long and slow progress, I gotta say. Sheer passion. Uh, Simon, from pot washer to president, great journey. How did it start? And can you tell us a little bit of this uh, intriguing story and for sure fascinating one? Yeah, I guess that's gonna be the title of the, the book. Now you've coined it, uh, Matteo, but uh, it's, been a, yeah, it's been an amazing journey, really. I mean, I'll tell you briefly, I was born, grew up in England, but actually was living in Wales in my teens. My family moved down there and uh, I was 13 years old and working in local restaurant as a pot washer. And so you imagine then, you know, this was, uh, you know, in the late 70s, early 80s, you know, sort of arms deep in the, the dishwashing uh, water kitchens, loud, noisy, you know, busy places. And I was struck by the environment because there was this huge contrast between what was happening in the kitchen and then the doors, you know, you have the doors where the waiter or waitress goes in and out. And it was a vision through to another world, you know, people pulling up in beautiful cars, coming in, you know, finely dressed and, and seeing little sneaks of uh, family moments evolving. They could be weddings or birthday parties or graduation, you know, the the clink of glasses, the moments of celebration. And something spoke to me as a young boy saying, hey, this is something I want to be part of. I didn't know what else to do with my life. I was a, a pretty average uh, performer academically. You know, when I was 15, you know, you get called to the careers master's office and they sit you down and tell you, Casson, here's what's going to happen with your life. 
So I go in, I sat down and um, he said, Kasson, uh, you're a failure. He said, you failed all your exams. I don't see much of a bright future for you. Um, maybe think about joining the army or learning to be a bricklayer or some basic apprenticeship, but there's no academia uh, for you from this point on. And so it was a bit of a shocker, mostly a shocker, because of course I had to go home and tell my mother. At that point, my parents were divorced. I was living at home and, you know, mummy came home and I said, mummy, I've had the big chant in school and, and they've told me I'm a failure and nothing's going to come of my life. And, you know, she sat me down and uh, she said, Simon, you're special. She said, you're going to be a leader of men. You're going to have an incredible impact on this world. And I believe in you. And, you know, mother's love may be blind, but all you need in a moment in your life when the, the whole world's saying, no, you can't have one person that tells you, yes, you can. And that was the start of a journey. She gave me that little nugget of self-belief and, you know, was able to take that. And, you know, I left home at uh, 17 years old. Uh, room attendant, cocktail barman, chef in the kitchen, learning my trade, and and then had the great you know fortune to join Four Seasons over 30 years ago, and you know take my whatever talent I had, but certainly my ambition and my desire to be a success, and within the fertile grounds of the Four Seasons world, it was uh, able to flourish. That surely good for a book. Hope it's you stay somewhere. Your chapter, at least, huh? <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned before that uh, you're working hard from home, being in connection with all your hotels. Uh, and I, if I'm not wrong, you have the responsibility over something like 40 properties and uh, maybe 16,000 employees and numbers like that. How can you keep first on one side motivated, basically your team and the reassured and also the relationship with the hotel owners? Listen, I, don't, I believe that no one person can, can keep a whole team motivated. As you say, it's a diverse region. Your, your research is spot on, Matteo. It's 40 hotels, uh, 15,000 people, but in 26 countries. So if you think of the geographies, the languages, the cultures, you know, no one person can do that, but uh, we hire for that. And I'm a great believer that that motivation resides within each individual in the workplace. And if you hire for that, then it's, it's going to be present, you know, within an organization that's going to flourish. I think your job as a leader, more so than ever at times of crisis, is to be a great communicator. And you asked me about my day earlier, and I'm from 8 a.m. in the morning till 7, 8 a.m. at night, often later because of North America. I'm on calls, and their video calls, their conference calls uh, can be to my regional vice presidents, individual GMs, owner partners. Um, you know, and other stakeholders, but the value of staying in communication um, with the teams, of course, inspiring with communication, but importantly, doing it with authenticity, because in the times we're in, you know, the messages can be tough at the moment, you know, it's, uh, you know, no hotel and business is going to come unscathed out of this. And we have people that, you know, going through hardships, you know, reduced hours, reduced pay, you know, most businesses, you know, will struggle to keep everyone employed in the long term. But even with tough messages, I think people respect if you're delivering them with authenticity and with transparency, then people know what they're, they're dealing with. Um, but it's, I think it's a great moment in time and opportunity for leaders, you know, to step up. You can't choose just to lead in good times, uh, you know, when everything's going great. You know, we're called for these moments of challenge and you know there's this saying in English cometh the hour cometh the man and uh, trying to live up to that very true 
and uh, you mentioned uh, something that is coming up uh, quite often in uh, this conversation that we are having, uh, which is about the authenticity. Do you think that the time is making us uh, more emotional and therefore more authentic uh, compared to moment where the economy maybe is uh, running, uh, everything seems uh, fine and easy? You know, I don't think anything can make us more authentic or more emotional. It either resides within you and that's part of your being or it's not. But I think the circumstances give you an opportunity to reveal it more. And for me, it's very powerful to show vulnerability in leadership. You know, everyone's looking up and wants to feel reassured, but they're also worried and concerned as well. So to kind of lower that waterline on yourself and say, of course, I have my worries and fears and my family and health and, you know, this isolation. You know, I think the opportunity to share more, I think if it's within and you already have that connectivity and relationship with your teams around the region, there's a great opportunity to reveal more of that because you catch people with that. I mean, no one, you know, anyone can read off a script and tell you this is how we're going to deal with it and read a formal statement. But as best you can, you've got to kind of look into that camera and you've got to connect with people. And they've got to see the real authentic you shining back at them. And if you can do that, you catch people. I guess that the time of the Iron Man leader, fearless, uh, it's uh, over. Those are not the only thing that are selling a good leadership. Yeah. It is for sure. You've got to be you. I mean, there's, no, there's nothing you can greater value than having a sense of self and then letting that shine because other people see that and it becomes a hallmark of leadership. Whereas if you're trying to be what you think a corporate leader should be or what a big boss, you know, should be, you know, this really smart and educated group of employees who are, you know, in today's interconnected world, they can watch all those videos on YouTube or they see it on social media. So your only way to really connect in a meaningful way is to be you, be comfortable being you and let that shine. Um, I heard you saying in an interview something very on the point regarding this region. We are in Dubai. You have uh, responsibility on a greater region. But talking about Dubai and the Middle East, you said that this is a very challenging region because uh, the fast-growing economy attracts faster than other places new competitors to the market. Now we are facing another challenge. <laughs> which is this emergency, so a challenge over another challenge. Do you see any opportunity into that to improve, to do something different, to do? Listen, I think great leaders always see opportunity. And, you know, I think uh, it was Warren Buffett who said, never, never miss a good crisis because opportunity inherently looks within a, looks within a crisis. And, you know, I think the challenge for the region, you know, we're in here in, in the Gulf, in the Middle East, historically has been, you know, a logistical challenge. You have to hire, find, retain employees that are coming from all around the world. You know, our beach resort at, uh, in Jumeirah has about 50 different nationalities employed. And so the logistical challenge um, has been the complexity of it. But I think, you know, a pandemic such as we're living through now, pretty unprecedented in our lifetimes, you know, is very refining for that. And I think the employees are looking very carefully to see, you know, what are we doing? How are we doing it? 
And I think therein lies the opportunity because it's not easy for anyone. I think the employees recognize that, that it's not easy and they trust you and they trust you to do the right things by the business. And so how you do that, how you communicate it, as I said, even if the messages are tough, I think there's a great opportunity because when we come out of this, Mateo, uh, to whatever this new normal is going to be, it for sure is going to be different. You know, I think uh, a great opportunity is those that come out intact and organizational humanity in the sense of culture, the ethos, what people believe in, and they watch carefully. Is that real? Or once for as soon as there's a crisis, are you not accessible? Are you not communicating? Is there a, you know, fear that's pervading? And so I think a great opportunity for all of us as, as leaders of teams uh, is to have open communication and to actually grow the culture of the organization through a time of crisis. The world now is staying connected through technological devices. That's mm -hmm. it. That's very clear. Uh, business-wise, from a family point of view, from with friends and everything. Was the use of technological devices already very diffuse in your business or is it something new for you? Is it something that you think that it will take a big, bigger place in the future for the hospitality business? You know, I think it was already very present. You know, I think we were pretty fortunate as an organization that a couple of months ago, we migrated all our technology platforms onto Microsoft Teams. And that's been an amazing benefit for us. The connectivity through that, the ability to warehouse data, to be looking same time at common documents, to be having easy video chat and interaction. I think it was always important technology, but I think particularly with everyone working from home, uh, it's become even more important. But I think a critical point not to miss in that is that, you know, the computer is not going to fix any problems. That video camera in there is not going to fix any problems. What it has the ability to do is to give us a platform and allow us to exchange in a more meaningful way. Um, because when you're able to see someone's face and you're having a talk and it might be about a tough subject, the nuances of body language, um, the ability to you know, have a real engaged conversation with others participating, I think really, really helps us you know, discharge our responsibilities and helps us connect. So I think you know, on a business perspective, it's, a, it's an incredibly powerful thing. You know, I have three adult children in their, in their mid-20s, and so to be able to have daily communication with them in that way uh, is, is really powerful, and I'm thankful for it, for sure. We were talking about opportunities, about crisis, and you uh, quoted basically Warren Buffett, say, don't miss a great crisis. Do you think this crisis is giving the opportunity to the um, hospitality business to think about maybe new brand enhancers? Uh, so far, basically, the brand enhancers for hospitality and hospitality business, they were restaurants and bars. Do you envision anything new coming up in uh, the future? You know, it's a, it's a great question, Matteo. If, if you'd allow me, I'll wind up a little bit because I have a strong belief in the difference between what makes a good hotel and a, a great hotel. And essentially, you know, a good hotel has you know, always been its location in the city, uh, architectural merit that it has something about the, the building, the interiors. And, you know, if you take our hotel in Dubai, it's in an amazing beachfront spot on Jumeirah One. 
Um, you know, the architecture is, is notable, the interiors, whether it's the marble, the art, the, the beautiful hand-woven rugs, the Murano glass chandeliers, it's all amazing. But the reality is that can only ever make you good because it can be bought. Someone could acquire another beachfront piece of land, same architect, same interior designer, they could copy everything pretty much. And it wouldn't be great. And that's because, you know, this quantum leap from good to great is human. It's experiential and it's delivered by people. And the guests know that. When they stay at the Jumeirah Hotel, Charlotte, when they come back and start staying again, you know, they're gonna be paying one of the highest rates in the city and they're paying for brand, for location, for security, for the luxury. But that same guest knows they cannot pay for someone to gen genuinely care. They cannot pay for someone to intuitively sense what it would take to make a family moment, create a memory or an experience. It's unpayable and the guests get that. So firstly, for me, uh, you know, the greatness in hospitality is not about restaurants and bars and lobbies or, you know, beautifully landscaped gardens. They're all enhancers. They're in fact foundational. If they're done really well, they're enhancers. But at the center of it is people delivering experiences. And so I think that will continue, you know, to be the case, you know, no doubt, there's going to be opportunities for us as we come out of this. We're going to be, you know, we're already working very hard on, you know, our processes for uh, social distancing, for check-in, for check-out, for cleaning, for spacing within outlets, uh, for the reality that buffets are not going to be acceptable in the short term. Maybe buffets will go away completely. Just the thought after having lived through this, that we're all, you know, putting our forks into the same salad bowl and things. We're considering all of those things. So I think there will be some, some changes and we're looking closely uh, at that. Um, but we're in a timeless business that goes back thousands of years. You know, the essence of hospitality is a roof over your head, a meal served, but done so in a warm and welcoming way. So I think that will continue to be the defining factor, honestly. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I guess that uh, every hotel can be divided in terms of interior design in uh, public spaces, private spaces for the guests, uh, and the back of house. Mm -hmm. Do you think that the hotel of 2021 will need uh, a fourth space, uh, not yet identified today, as, and I'm, I'm just following up with what you were saying there, there is uh, a careness that we have now to increase about the social distancing, about still enjoying public spaces, but me being more conscious and careful about the social distancing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we're probably more fortunate in the luxury hotel space because, you know, part of luxury is space. And so, you know, our beach, for example, I'll keep using the Dubai example because it's where we're residing, but it could replicate around any of the hotels in the region. Um, but we have huge outdoor spaces and beaches for a 230 room hotel. And the hotel can be packed but you will find plenty of space and there's no cramming. The same within, you know, the restaurants. I, you know, there is ample space between the tables. That might have to be exaggerated in the short term, particularly, you know, with requirements, you know, for two meters of distance. But our hotels are, you know, thoughtfully designed, curated and put together with space in mind because space does represent, uh, represent luxury. And so I think that's somewhat built in, but I think, 
you know, I think it's an interesting thing to think about. I think we'll need to, in all of our hotels, make sure there are also quiet spaces for people that don't want to be in amongst other people. Um, you know, the world has tilted on its axis and we're not going to all be exactly the same afterwards. And I think the, the opportunity to create spaces that allow for reflection um, and alone time will be, will be part of that. Going back to the book of your life, what would be the chapter called uh, Advices for a Young Simon Casson? What you would write in it? You know, I think we often think back and, and reflect on that. And I don't think there's any, there's any magic to it. You know, I've certainly been a great observer of, of my own journey. And then as I went through my own journey on what made people successful, I was always really curious about we all have the same human capacity. Why do some people become very successful and others not? And particularly given my, you know, poor start academically, how I ended up to, you know, have the position I'm in. You know, as I've reflected back, I think firstly, it's about developing a sense of self, being comfortable and at ease with who you are. Um, because everything flows from that. And other people recognize it. it becomes a hallmark of leadership, you know, like a beautifully fitted jacket that just is very comfortable to wear you wear it with ease and the sooner in your life you can develop the ability to be at ease with yourself and it's a complex thing because we all go through this life you know with a rucksack of stuff on our back from where we were born how we grew up relationships with parents and siblings academic uh, you know interactions how our teachers were early romantic relationships first relationships with bosses they all create uh, a, an order of disappointments, of fears, uh, of insecurities, of doubts. Everyone has them. Those that become most successful take that rucksack off along the way and unpack it and look at those things. They're present in everyone. No one has completely their act together. We all have, you know, those doubts, fears, and insecurities. But if you can look at them and recognize you know who you are what you're good at that which you're not so good at and make sure you surround yourself with people that balance you in that way i think it allows a, a real strong foundation so if i was talk to my young self i would say get more comfortable with yourself early for me i was in my mid-30s honestly before i really feel i got to that stage i think men generally get to that point uh, you know later not always you know i look at my son who's 26 now phenomenal being you know, he was pretty at ease with himself in his teens. Um, but, you know, my mother, who's in her 70s, is still trying to figure that out and worrying about other people and inconsequential things. But that sense of self really important. Secondly, I would say to young Simon, find a passion. Find something you really enjoy. Don't be what your parents want you to be or what school says you should be. Don't let yourself be defined by anything other than what do I really have a passion about? What do I want to give my time and talent to? Because when you do that, it doesn't feel so much uh, like work. But then on top of that, you've got to be obsessively driven to achieve your goals. It's a, every industry and every business is super competitive. So you've got to want it more than the person sitting next to you or the cohort that you rise up within. You've got to say, I want it more badly. So there's no substitute for hard work, refining your skill set becoming the best version of you along the way. I always like to close uh, our conversation with a personal question. What will be the first thing that you will be doing once the quarantine is over? 
You know, it's been a really refining time and I'm a, a person that's driven by human connectivity in the whole of my life. And, you know, I'm isolating uh, alone here in Dubai. And so I didn't realize the value of a hug. And so when I get to hug my wife, Daniela, my kids, Joshua, Charlotte and Abigail, man, that's going to be a hug that's tighter than usual. And I don't think uh, I'm going to take that for granted so much in the future. You know, I uh, had a quote or two along the way, but Nat King Cole, you're a musician as well. You know, he wrote a poem that became a song called uh, Nature Boy. In that, he said, you know, the greatest thing you will ever learn is just to love and be loved in return. And that's kind of a mantra of my life. If you have the capacity not only to give love, but to receive love as well, there is no greater thing. And, and so those hugs with those special people will be uh, even more special. Beautiful words. Thank you very much, Simon. It's been a real pleasure to stay with you. Thanks for your time and interest. And this is a great initiative to be connecting people and thoughts in, in this way as a, as a means of sharing. So stay safe, stay home while we have to, but look forward to, to, to being back out in the world very soon.